I just got done going on a small hike out in the hills of San Bonanza here about 15, 20 minutes ago, and it's a nice little hike. It's uh, me and my buddy Austin, we call it the uh, Pastures of Heaven, and the hike I've been doing, I don't go quite to the pastures. It's a little bit further, uh, but I do go to the top of the ridge, which provides a nice view um, of Salinas as well as the uh, highway, Highway 68, going towards Monterey. Uh, it was nice going out there today. It was kind of um, overcast. It's getting ready to rain here tonight. But it's a nice little hike. It takes about, I don't know, I could probably go up and back in 30, 40 minutes. Um, however, there's a, a handful of rocks at the top of this ridge I like to get to. And uh, it's a good place to just sit and uh, think or listen to music or read a little bit or whatever. But uh, while I was going on that hike, I had kind of an interesting thought that I was um, working through on the way up. And the thought was <clears throat> that it's interesting that in today's world, you know, each one of us is already an individual, but in today's world, we have so many other selves. And I don't know if that's quite the right way to phrase this. You know, I heard someone, uh, I forget who I was listening to, but they were talking about something regarding, I think they phrased it as filters. Um, and in their example, they were saying, you know, the spoken word is the most authentic version of the self and then you can go into the written word because that's kind of the first filter because there's the ability to edit and other eyes have a have a say before that gets published or if you have a blog obviously you edit it yourself and then there goes you know uh social media media it just kind of trickles down there's more filters that you put on yourself but i was thinking about something i guess similar but Really what I was thinking about is that there's just so many different versions of, of us nowadays and how does that compare to you know back in the day when, when we didn't have nearly the amount of forms of communication that we have today, you know, what was it like then as it is compared to now? Because now I feel as though, you know, we have you know face to face discussion as as always which was obviously prevalent and more prevalent back in the day but now we have <clears throat> we have text we have instant messaging we have social media and then we have messaging on media um, and each one of those I think even as try as we might to, to maintain a sense of authenticity uh, there has to be a degree that is kind of evaporated at each level of that form of communication, uh, particularly when you're when you are addressing a large audience, um, such as social media, such as posting something on social media, you know, I think that we've all experienced something that that me and my buddies, or I know a lot of other people would say, you know, we used to call it insta anxiety, and it's something that I think you know we all deal with that that are active on social media and that. Um, you know, are kind of engaged in that, that world uh, of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that. And so that's one version of the self. 
Um, then you also have text, you know, and like text is again, like, it's so easy to be impulsive through text and to come across as upset or uh, angry or, or confrontational when really the authentic self, the one who's actually typing that might not be feeling any of those things. It's just a, a way it comes across. And it, I just think it's interesting. And I'd be curious to know, you know, obviously Instagram and all that stuff, we can all say it's it's a form of anxiety and it's, it's you know, comparing one another, uh, comparing yourself to others is obviously a, a symptom or a, or a cause of depression and but is it also, does it also lead to the amount of people in today's world that just don't know who they are, you know? Um, for example, I guess, you know, you could have someone who, you know, I think about the people today, the, the, the kids today that are in high school, you know, maybe they're freshmen or maybe they're even in middle school. Let's just take middle school, even better example, I guess. Um, their whole life has been social media. Their whole life has been connected via cell phone. And how hard would it be to know who you actually are when, especially growing up, like I, I got social media when I was in, you know, I had Facebook when I was early high school and then, and then Instagram as a senior. But if, if I had that when I was at such a young age, and you know that it's brutal enough without social media to be that age and and to have people, you know, everybody's kind of growing up and learning what it means to fucking be alive and, and they're picking on each other and, and making fun of people and not really knowing that what does and does not hurt people's feelings so they're not really conscious or, or expressing any sort of empathy. And that's without social media. But with it, I mean, man, I can't imagine... You know, right, right? People talk about it cyberbullying all the time. But I mean, even those those that aren't cyberbullied, those that are always trying to climb the hierarchy of the social media game at such a young age, it's like, dude, how do you know who the fuck you are, you know? Especially when you get to that, that high school age where you're kind of... And I'd almost be hard-pressed to say that, you know, high, high school does involve a lot of coming-of-age aspects of life you know you're kind of you're growing up you're becoming a little bit more conscious uh but really like man i think about like when i was at the end of high school and where i am now and uh, same with my friends and whatnot i know that a lot of there's a lot of growth that takes place after high school some don't grow at all which is this is interesting but uh few i would say few um and so anyways i just kind of was thinking about as i was going up that hike you know how has I'd be interested, I don't know how you measure this, but like a sense of self, a, a, a confidence in who you are, you know, what was it like back when there was none of this additional forms of communication versus today when we have limitless forms of communication, limitless abilities to be different people? Um, I think it's easy to get lost in that and, and get lost in that and just kind of go to bed at night after you've just fucking burned your eyes out with your phone and just, just uh, you're sucked into whatever self you are on Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or whatever the fuck you're looking at, you know, 
you go straight to bed and wake up the next day and do it all over again. It's like, man, like when, when do you really take the time to, to actually get to know yourself? And, uh, I'm interested in, in, if you could measure that, I'd be interested in to see what it is today, whatever that measurement may be versus what it was way back when these didn't exist. And I know obviously it's kind of a rhetorical question because obviously you would think that the sense of self or, or, understanding is greater uh, back when these forms of communication didn't exist. But I just thought it was something interesting. If something I was thinking about, um, especially just, I think it's important just to, to, to remember. And I guess, you know, it's what people say, like take a break before you send something, uh, reflect on whether or not you really mean it. And that just like is so important because it's so easy to, to shoot something off. And then you might not even be mad. You might be an authentic, you might be authentically, you might be totally fine, just chill. And you might send something off, which gives the idea or the impression that you are upset. And if you don't have the ability to recognize the difference there, where, you know, the difference between your authentic self being that I'm not upset and what you just said, indicating that you're upset, if you can't differentiate that, like you actually will become upset, which is just, totally unhealthy and totally, you know, it's not good for the person on the other end and it's not good for the, the person that's originating that, that, uh, energy, I guess one might say. Um, so anyways, I thought that was interesting. I was kind of thinking about that on my way up, up the, the hill there. Um, and I think that kind of goes into something again, kind of what I've, I've had this thought for a number of weeks now and, you know, it goes, uh, it's about, I guess, you know, you'd call it a ghost runner. And I think that everybody has their own ghost runner. And a ghost runner is, you know, when I think of a ghost runner, I think of like the Olympics and I think of the 100 meter sprint. And I think of Usain Bolt naturally. And I think of like his first run and then his second run. And then they overlay the first run onto the second run. And you kind of see that faded image of him and it shows you know, where he was in relation to where he was previously or whatever. I feel as though we all have that. And that's the, the little voice in our head that that knows what you should be doing and is telling you what you should be doing or what you want to do. And it's up to us to really make a decision and act on it. And, you know, this first, this thought really first came to me when I was in college. I was experiencing a pretty heavy episode of anxiety and whatnot and um I remember thinking to myself you know I had a bunch of water bottles on the floor mat of my passenger side of my truck and I was like man I've been fucking looking at this for weeks now and I'm just like why haven't I picked it up and I was like well what would life be like if I did pick this up and what would life be like if I did do those little things um and that was that idea was fueled even more so when I got uh, a hold of Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. I mean, he talks about that. Or when I was introduced to Jordan Peterson, which was, I think, maybe a year or two after I had originally thought about that um, in college. And he always talks about, you know, his classic example is to, to make your bed. And 
you have to start small. You have to start doing those small things, picking up the water bottles on the, the floorboard of your mat or of your car, you know, making your bed, wiping down your table, doing your dishes, all those small things. And those are all aspects of the ghost runner. Um, and that's something to be conscious of as well. That's again, it kind of goes hand in hand with, with what I was just talking about earlier with knowing who you are and, and what you're all about. That will kind of define what your ghost runner is. You know, there's a, a quote that like that whole crew on, on Twitter and whatnot, those, the, the stoic philosophers, you know, I, I, that crew just cracks me up on Twitter, but um, there's this common quote that's always thrown out there. And it's like, you know, uh, I don't know if it's hell is, or it's essentially like hell is when you die you get to meet the person you could have been or something like that. And so again, that's another form of just the ghost runner. And you know, that's stoic, the stoic, stoic philosophers on Twitter. They're always uh, trying to be so, so damn intense and, and uh, whatnot. So I think it's a kind of an intense way of putting it. Um, so make sure you don't run into that. Make sure that when you die, you fucking are better than the person that you could have been. Uh, not, you know, you know, not to put any pressure on you, but anyways, yeah, that's kind of like the ghost runner thing that I was getting at. I think that that was something that is important to, to realize. And again, I think it stems from, um, just knowing who you are and, and having confidence in who you are. And that'll, that'll lead you in the direction of, of the ghost runner and you do your best to catch him and, you know. I know, I know me, man. I got, I know what my ghost runner does. I've, I been thinking about it for a long time and, and some days I feel like I'm, I've caught up to him and some days I feel like I've, I've, you know, been on that, been par, been even with that ghost runner for a number of weeks or months maybe, or, uh, but then you, you fall behind and, uh, I think that's something that's always going to happen. It's always going to feel like you fall behind. I think that, that I don't know if you'll ever really feel like you're ahead just because if you were ahead uh you'd probably develop something where you're like well i should be doing this and this and that's just a matter of those who you know want to self-improve and be better individuals uh but certainly as you progress i think that the the gap between your real self and the ghost runner will get smaller um and so i thought that was interesting uh again yeah this is again you know kind of like the last podcast a little bit of a, a freestyle here um, I don't have a guest this week, but I'm still, I'm working on it. You'd be surprised how, you know, it's not that difficult to get guests, I don't think, but it's, it's a little nerve wracking for me. And it's a little, um, I think it's, it's, vul- it's a vulnerable thing to ask someone to, to come on and share authentic thoughts. And, and, uh, it's also difficult to speak in a microphone fluently. You know, it's something that, that I know I've had to practice at and am continuing to practice at, but it's not that easy. And I think that that along with just being able to um, organize your thoughts in a manner where you're confident enough to speak into a microphone and have it be unedited, uh, that is also a difficult thing to do. Um, I will do, I will brag that every one of these podcasts have been unedited and done in one take um, which I think just helps put pressure on me to make sure that I do my best at, at being uh, 
fluent and concrete with what I'm saying, confident with what I'm saying, precise, you know. Um, anyways, uh, working on that, working on getting a, a guest on there, um, maybe this weekend, I don't know. Um, but I do have a couple quotes, you know, a couple quotes from the book that I've been reading, that I've been quoting before, um, the Alan Watts uh, autobiography, In My Own Way. And he had a couple cool, a couple things to think about. Uh, one of which, let me find the passage here. One of the curses of Western industrial culture is the proliferation of, quote, nice residential areas where no shops or small businesses are permitted and which require as their counterparts, business districts for unrelieved commerce to which one must commute for several miles to ply one's trade or buy groceries, there to find parking impossible and, in transit, to clog the air with unnecessary gasoline fumes. These nice residential areas establish an aesthetic standard for the good life, which, though millions buy it, is for me a dreary wasteland in which people are trying to divorce pleasure and leisure from work, so that the pleasure becomes vapid and the work drudgery. Unless I am to live far out in the country, give me a place where a grocery, a laundry, a smithy, and a pub are within easy walking distance. I thought that was an interesting passage. Um, and I, when I think about that, I think about uh, Sandra and I went to Pacific Grove the other night, a um, couple, last two weekends ago. And we just walked around and we had dinner there. And uh, that is very much what Alan Watts here is saying is the ideal form, you know, having a place where there are small shops and small businesses and you're within walking distance of a grocery, laundry, etc. And I really hadn't done a lot of walking around in Pacific Grove in a while. And it's nice. It's nice. I mean, they are, they're one of those communities that don't allow the big, big chains, uh, to come in. Uh, so it's a lot of small mom and pop shops, uh, you know, very small business, local vibe. Uh, <clears throat> the restaurant we ate at, uh, was great. Recommended to us, uh, by my good friend, John, uh, what the hell was it called? I forget what it was called, but we had duck and it was good. Um, but it was nice, you know, it was like, you know, little knickknack shops and whatnot. And, we walked around and all of the homes are cute and quaint and just small, um, very, very small, almost old timey vibe. And I liked it. You know, I always kind of, for some reason, didn't have a good uh, memory of Pacific Grove. I think the reason why was because all the time, the only time I went to Pacific Grove was when I would go with my parents and I would be kind of car sick by the time I got there. And I kind of just think that I associated with that with that but that was a good quote or a good passage by him I agree I agree with it I don't like that there is a I don't like that the good life is these nice residential places that require you to drive 15 miles to uh, get your groceries let's see I had one more which is kind of lengthy and this might even be one that could be a podcast all of its own uh, it's kind of more on his own philosophy. Let me find it here. 
Alright, it's a long one, so bear with me. I was therefore arguing that one does not dissolve the erroneous, an erroneous concept, however hypnotically compelling, by an effort of will, by straining one's muscles, clenching one's jaws and fists, wrinkling one's brow, or holding one's breath against an idea. For our seeming sensation, as distinct from image, of ego, is precisely the chronic muscular tension of trying to use brawn to accomplish results in the brain, which is as futile as trying to lift a plane off the runway by straining at your seatbelt. An erroneous concept, as that a rainbow touches the ground at a particular spot, that a ship actually gets smaller as it moves out to sea, or that a rope stepped upon in the dark is a snake cannot always be dissolved by verbal explanation. The air must somehow be shown, and then the intelligence, and I must use this word rather than intellect, will comprehend it at once. When people say to me, I don't under I understand what you are saying intellectually, but I don't really feel it, I am moved to reply, no, you understand the words, but your intelligence hasn't seen the point. You have heard the joke, but you haven't laughed. And so I have been working for years to find ways of showing that we don't confront the world as isolated subjects confronting alien objects. What we experience is always ourselves, and this is a more or less intelligent happening, which is neither voluntary nor involuntary, subjective nor objective, controlled nor uncontrolled. Methods of meditation are effective only insofar as, through failure of dogged persistence, they show that the ego and its willing are unreal. There ought to be a less clumsy way of seeing the point, but I have only been partially successful in finding it. Krishna Murti has the same difficulty and has been working along the same line. So here, I think it was a good uh, passage that really kind of outlined his own philosophy and mission with being, you know, his self-proclaimed guru or mystic. Which was essentially to find a way to get the lay person to understand and feel and be part and just realize that they are part of the, the eternal now, the eternal present, without having to go through strict Zen meditation techniques um, or other strict spiritual practices kind of something like like he was saying essentially he's like you know i can sit here and i can tell this person that as a ship goes out to sea it's gonna look like it gets smaller but it doesn't get smaller and like you might sit here and be like i understand that but it's like you know i'm really gonna get it once i see it happen and so he's his, he's his difficulty was always just trying to do that and i alan watts seems to kind of you know he doesn't rag on the practice of meditation at all he just kind of says i think what he's really referring to is just the the true disciplinary act of zazen meditation which zazen meditation is very very strict like if you if you go online and just google uh, accounts of people that have joined zen monasteries and and strict zen monasteries where they're like the old way uh, it is very very intense and very you know one might even call it abusive uh, and so I think he's referring to that form of Zen meditation because he does, and then he goes on and he, say, he does say that, well, I do practice meditation in the morning and it's like, well, okay, 
which is it? But I think what he's saying is like, I do practice meditation, you know, 20, 30 minutes in the morning, maybe even an hour. Um, but he doesn't sit there for four or five hours a day and practice the true form of Zazen meditation, which is, as I said, it's much more intense um, than just doing a standard sit when, you know, as it's called. Um, so I thought those were cool quotes from him. I'm almost done with the book and I'm interested in reading some of his other stuff, but I have a, a couple other books that I've got um, in my queue. Um, other than that, what else did I have? I had one thing that I wanted to say completely off topic, but it's that I've seen a whole lot more of electric bicycles and electric skateboards. And like, I agree. I think that they're cool. I think the skateboards are cool. Uh, when I was in college, I remember we had one friend who got one, the, the skateboard, and it was like two grand. So I'm like, dude, is this like gotten much cheaper? I assume it has. But also like the prevalence of seeing these bikes and like they have pedals as well. I'm just like, bro, like why do we have to take something that is already fun on its own right, riding a bicycle or riding a skateboard? Uh, and why do we have to take that and make it sedentary? You know, like why do we have to, why do we have to do that? You know, and I guess as humans, I, I agree. I think it's cool too. Like I think it's probably more fun to ride or it's a different experience, but like more fun, whatever, to sit on a bike and just, I'm not, I've never ridden a motorcycle really or anything like that, but I'm sure it's fun. And, uh, you know, electric scooters are always more fun. They were always a good time. And like, yeah, electric skateboard, I'm sure it's cool. It's kind of like a little hoverboard, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, dude, why do we have to make everything sedentary or like, you know, see a whole bunch of people riding riding their electric bikes and it's like dude why don't you just ride a bike man it's flat flat anyways so i don't know i've had kind of a strong opinion on that and uh i don't know i don't know but then the question goes like well would you ride a an electric bike or an electric skateboard and the answer is yeah i probably would but i don't think i would ever buy one you know if it was just like fun like i saw that like i guess uh what's his name curry stephen curry and his wife came to the coast in Carmel or whatnot to, to have a vacation. They rented bikes, electric bikes and cruised down whatever the bike path. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's cool. A little vacation activity. Maybe that's what everybody's doing, but, uh, I've seen them everywhere. So I, I'm just like, dude, why can't I buy one? Buy a bike. It's cheaper and it's good for you. Um, so that's my angry old man topic of the day. And I will end with a little bit of music recommendations. Let's see what I have. What do I got for you guys? What do I got? There's a great song on one of Sandra's playlists, her November playlist, by Tom Mish. That's Tom, M-I-S-C-H, and the, the song is called No Peace. Uh, Tom Mish is a great on its own. Um, that's someone to, to really check out, Tom Mish. So I guess I recommend him. And on my playlists, let's see what I've added recently. Oh, Sweet Thing called by Shuggy Otis. Sweet Thing with an A. And then Earth by Mac Miller. And Souvenir by, by Milo is really good. That's always been a, an old one, an old favorite. Souvenir. 
uh, by Milo, M-I-L-O. That's a really good one. Um, yeah, those, those are some songs for you guys. And that's going to do it for this. We're up to about a half hour. And like I said, you know, these, these freestyles are difficult. I'm sorry I got, I, I, you know, got this out a little late. But uh, they're fun. I like the freestyles. It's good for me to practice on this stuff and everything. But uh, really would like to get some guests in here. Because like those topics with Alan Watts, like that's something fun to, to discuss with some friends who like to talk about um, philosophy or, or life and stuff like that. So anyways, oh, that's the other thing I was going to recommend. Uh, a number of people have recommended The Queen's Gambit to me, the show on Netflix. And uh, I like to play chess uh, pretty frequently. So uh, that's why they were recommending it to me. And it actually is good. I'm going to finish that tonight. Um, I binged it in like three days. But it's short. It's like seven episodes. Uh, but it's good. You know, it's not like amazing. But it's cool because it's chess and like... It's a cool little story and stuff, and it's well-produced, and it's entertaining, to say the least. It makes me want to get really good at chess, because these guys are fucking really good, and I'm not. But uh, anyways, I'm going to do that, and uh, that'll do it. You guys have a good night, and hopefully I'll have a guest on this weekend.